Do you seek the freedom to pursue greater meaning and purpose in your life? Is there something that you're passionate about that you'd like to support by giving time, talent, or money? Do you seek a level of financial freedom to live an ideal life as you uniquely define it? Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to helping you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. Well, hello and welcome to the Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier. My name is Jeff Bernier. I am your host today and your guide as I have been through these series of podcasts that we do where we try to have conversations about deep wealth management topics uh, and to give you a broad range of conversations about things that matter in helping you create the financial capacity to go live your best life as you as you uniquely define it. And we call it money and meaning because we also have deeper discussions around what helps you live the fullest life according to your values. In other words, what uh, gets you excited about your life. And so we try to combine a deeper discussion around what gives you meaning and purpose and you know what gets you out of bed every morning with the financial means necessary to go pursue your vision of a meaningful life. So, so delighted that you decided to spend a few minutes with me today. Really looking forward to, to chatting with you. So thank you so much for, for being here. Um, you know, there are three things that I love to talk about that I really get energy talking about. The first one is what I just mentioned. Um, how do we help you create clarity? Uh, how do we have conversations and how can I share some content that helps you create clarity around what matters most to you and your family? So really uncovering what makes your heart come alive. I love talking about that. And I also love um, asking questions to un help people uncover that. The second thing I love talking about uh, is using academic research to build efficient, durable, long-term investment portfolios, something that I describe as evidence-based investing. Uh, love to talk about and teach on evidence-based investing. And then the third is how do we make healthy investor behavior? In other words, how do we invest rationally instead of emotionally? Uh, because it's my belief that over a lifetime of investing, investor behavior drives investment results more than the investments themselves. Uh, so it's really about creating or providing help with perspective so that we can invest in a way that gives us a reasonable chance to fund our dreams. Um, and, and again, healthy investor behavior. Uh, so that's the third thing I love talking about. And it's really this third thing that I think I'll spend some time on today, because I don't know if you've noticed, but the investment markets have gotten quite volatile and uncertain. So we do live in really, we're in a really volatile environment today, as I just mentioned, and markets are reacting to this rebalancing that is going on. So on today's show, I'm going to talk about three important points and how to think about where, we're at, where we are and some actionable things you might consider. Point number one, I'm going to talk a little bit about how we got here and why the Fed doing what they need to do to reduce inflation may be necessary. Number two, I'm going to share some comfort around how normal this all is and how, how normal recessions are and how markets have reacted in the past. My final point, I'll talk about things that you can always be doing to prepare your investment for times just like this. So let's jump right in. 
we do live in, in an uncertain times. I guess by definition, all times are uncertain, uh, but it has been volatile. Um, I'm recording this in the middle of May uh, 2022. Uh, and as I sit here today, the U.S. equity market's down about 17.5% year to date. Uh, bonds, which we often think of as defense, uh, are down 9.5% year to date. Uh, so there's a lot going on. And if you feel just a little bit queasy about this or uncertain about this, um, uh, it's normal. Um, you know, I, I quoted Charlie Munger a couple weeks ago. Uh, Charlie Munger is Warren Buffett's partner in Berkshire Hathaway. And he uh, was quoted as saying recently, if you're just not a little bit confused right now, you really just don't understand what's going on. So it is a very confusing time. Uh, as you know, we've had uh, rampant inflation recently. Um, you know, we, we've had uh, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates to try to um, stem the inflationary pressures. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, we've had asset prices that have inflated significantly. Your home has gone up a lot recently. Uh, there's been a lot of volatility. People are concerned about interest rates. So it's just a, a really, a really uneasy time. So that's what I want to talk a little bit about is try to provide a little bit of perspective about some of those, some of those things. And in terms of the equity markets being down 18%, uh, that's, that's the broad indexes. Um, uh, it may be shocking to know that 10% of the stocks in the index are down 90% or more. 20% uh, of the stocks, um, one in five, are down 80% from their all-time high. And so it's been, it's, it's been a depression, actually. Uh, some of these stocks are acting like a depression in a handful of these stocks. And these stocks that are down 80 and 90%, uh, they were some of the benefactors of the stay-at-home economy during during the pandemic. So they've, they basically come back, you know, come back to, to, to earth. And so what's causing this volatility? What's causing this, uh, this difficult period that we're in? Well, it's, it's this dual mandate that the Fed has uh, between trying to uh, promote full employment uh, and try to uh, get inflation down to their trend that they're looking for, which is around 2% according to, to the, the measures that they use most often. So they've got this dual mandate. And so we're in a period of rebalancing the economy. The Fed is trying to rebalance the economy. And so now they're trying to essentially take the punch bowl away uh, from the party uh, to deal with these inflationary pressures. So I've got three things I want to talk about in this context today as I'm trying to provide some perspective to you. The, the first one is um, uh, I'll just call this, um, you know, winter is coming. Um, and, um, and how we got here. So let's, let's, let's do that first. So, uh, those of you that are Game of Thrones fans might recognize that phrase, uh, the house of Stark, which is one of the families in the Game of Thrones. Uh, they lived in the North, um, and their motto was, winter is coming. Um, and that was essentially the idea that you always need to be prepared uh, because external forces may impact our lives and we need to be prepared for it. So you have to be prepared for winter. And of course, winter is always coming. Um, so 
and I'm using this as a metaphor for the for a recession. Uh, and so winter may be coming. I mean, we may we may have a recession. Um, and so we just have to, again, be prepared for it. So, uh, again, like the winter season, it's always coming. And so let's put on our long underwear and, and learn how to snow ski, perhaps. And so let's let's talk a little bit about that. And I thought about this. The reason I really thought about this theme on point number one was just last week, um, I got to listen to Lacey Hunt speak. Lacey, uh, Dr. Hunt, I guess I should call him, um, is an economist, the chief uh, uh, economist for Hoisington Investment Management. And uh, he has a long and storied reputation and background as an economist. He spent uh, many, many years at various institutions as a chief economic uh, advisor or, 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 or forecaster. Uh, he, and he actually worked at the Federal Reserve for a number of years. So very well respected. And I really enjoyed the presentation. You know, I, choked, I, I quote Charlie Munger a lot, as I did previously. I'm a big, I'm a big Charlie Munger fan. Um, and this guy reminds me a bit of Charlie Munger. He's a Texan. He's got a little age on him. Um, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, uh, pull any punches. I mean, he'll tell it like it is. And of course, uh, having been at the fed, I mean, he has some inside knowledge on the way the fed works. And so I thought it would be useful to share a few of his comments. Cause I think it's, I think it's helpful. Um, and so the major theme here for him is, you know, winter may be coming. In other words, a recession may be coming. Um, and the question that he has, I'll tell you the punchline of this point was, will the Federal Reserve do what is necessary to, to stem this inflationary pressures, even if it results in, an, in, in a recession? Um, and so let's talk about this for a minute and how we got here. So uh, as you all are well aware, back in the Great Recession, 2007 through 2009, I'll just call that period. Um, I mean, we had uh, our economy, the world economy, the global economy, the U.S. economy in particular, was on the brink. Uh, and it needed, uh, it, it needed uh, to go, uh, I mean, it was in the intensive care unit, and it needed resuscitation. And so the Fed came to the rescue, uh, and uh, Congress, quite frankly, came to the rescue. And what they did is they instituted uh, non-traditional policies to try to stem the tide, and it worked. Um, and and uh, I think most people would agree it generally worked. Um, and so we came out of that period uh, where they've had these new tools. And since that time, they've continued to apply some of those new tools. So since 2010, um, really since 2000, we've had slower economic growth. Um, matter of fact, from 2000 to today, the growth in our economy is about 50% of what it was from the mid-1800s to, uh, to, uh, to 2000. So we had this long period of time where the economy grew at a rate. And since 2000, it's grown at about half that rate. So with these non-traditional policies and some of the things that the Federal Reserve has done since, since 2010, they've tried to increase GDP in increase, and it's been anemic. I mean, we've had really slow growth from 2000 forward. So what has happened is we've had this massive uh, stimulative effect of both fiscal, but primarily monetary policy that I'm talking about now. And, and because of that, um, asset prices have gone up a lot. 
uh, you know, home values have gone up, uh, equities have gone up, bonds have gone up. So we've had these, some might call it artificially low interest rates. And we have all benefited from that to the extent you have assets. And so those of us that have 401ks and houses and investment accounts, our balances are actually probably much larger than they would have been had they not provided this accommodative policy since 2010. Unfortunately, however, those that are on fixed income or those that don't have assets have seen a deterioration in their living standards. So we do have, it has, it has been, it has benefited those of us that have assets and have resources. And it's been pretty damaging on those that are living on fixed income and, and don't. Um, and so again, we, we have enjoyed larger balances than we might've had, had the federal reserve not been so accommodative. Then we get the pandemic. Uh, and again, we go back and bring in the bazookas and absolutely probably necessary. I mean, we, we were, we were, you know, we were an uncharted territory once again, uh, and even, uh, more scary in, in many, many respects. So, uh, the federal reserve came to the rescue with more, non-traditional strategies to uh, create liquidity to the economy, which they had already continued, but it, they, 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 they did it on steroids. And you'll see, if you look at the size of the federal uh, reserve balance sheet, I mean, it has exploded. Uh, and then you also had um, uh, fiscal policy. So Congress, again, sent a bunch of money out and PPP loans and stimulus and all those kinds of things. And all that has continued. And so the result of all of that is we've we've had massive inflation, uh, the supply chain issues, um, a lot of liquidity to the system, and now they've got to correct the problem. Uh, and so Dr. Hunt, you know, argues that you know recessions are bad; you lose jobs in recession. But he believes that inflation is much much worse for two or three reasons. The, the one of the reasons is there are a lot more people that are affected by inflation. I mean, he argues there's about 170 million retirees uh, and, and people who are losing wealth because of rising prices. Um, and we recovered about 20 million jobs. So you've got 170 million people affected by inflation and you've got 20 million that were out of work. And so he's, he believes that, number one, um, if you look at the dual mandate and you can either have inflation um, uh, or, um, in, in the recession trade-off, he believes that the recession would be a better trade-off. And the, he's hopeful that the Federal Reserve will do what is necessary to get this under control. And again, he, he wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't making any uh, dire consequences of all of this uh, over time if the Fed does what they need to do to get this under control. The second reason inflation can be damaging uh, is that oftentimes when you look around the globe, and you see these inflationary periods, oftentimes that gives central government or, or, the, or the government uh, an excuse to go in and, and take over and try to control larger portions of the economy, more central planning. And he believes that just exacerbates the problem. So he lays a lot of blame on the Fed, uh, at least over the last 24 months, that they didn't start earlier uh, pulling some of the liquidity out of the system, um, uh, they have time to do something about it now, but this transition will not be uh, without consequences in as we go through it. And you can see that in the market today, rates popping up, 
uh, markets going down, and ultimately we you know we might we might see the impact on housing prices and and unemployment and, and other things. Now he again placed a good bit of blame on the Fed um, about not reacting earlier. Um, Ken Rogoff, who is another academic, well-known academic, uh, wrote a, a paper in the Project Syndicate recently uh, that said, you know, the Fed's partly to blame, but it's also political pressure. Uh, I mean, because we've got politicians that continue to try to influence the Fed uh, because a politician doesn't want a recession or an economic slowdown because it affects voting and obviously the ability to get reelected. So uh, the present administration, as well as uh, some in Congress, uh, continue to want to stimulate with programs uh, at a time uh, where we've had um, high, you know, hyperinflation and really strong growth uh, recently. So that's point number one. That's how we got here. And so I would just say winter might be coming, uh, but winter is always coming. And that leads me to point number two, which is it's normal. It's not pleasant, but it's normal. If you go back to 1970, uh, we've had a recession uh, eight out of 50 years, uh, going back to 1970. So that means that since 1970, we've had a recession on average about once every six years. Uh, and so it's, it's not unusual. Uh, we, we've had them throughout our history. Uh, uh, prior to the 1950s, we had them actually more frequently. But, but, but if I just go back to 1970, again, uh, we've had eight out of, out of those 50 years, which is, again, on average, about every six years. Well, you might want to write this down. In 1970, the S&P 500 was trading at 90, 90. Um, today, the S&P 500 is trading at about 4,000. So in this 50-year period where we've had these six episodes of recession, uh, the S&P 500 has grown from 90 to approximately 4,000, which is a 7.5% growth rate if you ignore the dividends. So if you totally ignore the dividends. So it's normal. And over that period of time, wealth in being a shareholder in the world's great businesses is compounded um, handsomely. Uh, if, you, if you just look at the dividends alone, in other words, ignore the share price, and you just look at the growth of the dividends that management distributed to the owners, which is you and I in these companies, the dividends have grown 6% a year. So in this 50-year period where you've been interrupted periodically by these six recessions that were not pleasant and, and really a, a disaster if you lost your job and not prepared. So I don't want to minimize the impact of recession. But to the long-term investor, uh, it's normal. And so in this 50-year in this period, dividends grew 6%, and the underlying value of the businesses that on the market grew about 7.5%. So again, it, it's normal and, it, and it's to be expected in uh, markets adjust. Um, and of course, I mentioned these low interest rates have brought, you know, we've had higher returns over the last several years because of some of these low rates. If you just look at the last three years, in the last, uh, and I'm, when I say three years, I'm using calendar years. So I'm using 19, 20, and 21. The cumulative return of the S&P 500 from January 1, uh, 2019 through the end of 21 is 72%. So the market's up 72% over that three-year period. And now we've had an 18% roughly pullback. So that 18% pullback or even the 9% pullback in fixed income, you know, those, those 
those, those prices are there for the sellers. If you're not a seller, those prices don't matter to you. They're, 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 for, they're for the sellers. Um, because again, it's just, it's just volatility and it's noisy. And again, not pleasant, but it's normal. So that's point number two. Recessions are normal. Uh, and again, if you believe as Dr. Hunt stated, um, it, may be, it may be necessary for us to get back to some reasonable growth uh, and, and, to, and to get this, this inflationary uh, challenge under control. So that's point number two, uh, that even if, if, uh, even if winter is coming, um, um, don't, don't be uh, overly concerned about it. So recessions aren't something to be feared, but they are something to plan for. So point number three, what do we do about all this? I mean, um, you know, this is a lot of information and uh, it can be really confusing and, and scary, but what do we do about it? Well, the first thing I would say, uh, and this is why goal-focused and planning-driven is, is one of my mandates or one of my mottos, I guess I should say, it's so important because your financial plan should drive your investment policy uh, and the financial plan can give you some confidence um, because you've already planned on these, these episodes. I mean, in our financial plans, we expect uh, these temporary declines. Uh, as I mentioned, you have a recession every six years. You have a, a bear market, which is defined as a 20% decline in equities or stocks. I mean, we assume that that's going to happen every four to six years in our, in our modeling. So you just have to be prepared for it, but you've got to have a financial plan that can withstand the temporary declines. The second thing is, is really about this perspective. It's all about perspective. Um, and what I, what, I, what I would talk about here is we don't, there's a lot we don't control. And so the thing that we want to encourage you to do is focus on those things that matter that you can actually control. But there's a lot that you can't control, um, you know, through a lot of coaching and counseling and spiritual uh, direction with, with, some, um, uh, with some advisors. Um, I've, I've been taught uh, to accept what is, you know, to accept the reality of our situations. Um, my wife bought um, a, a really nice um, thing that we have in our, in our, our living room now that says, um, you know, one of the happiest days of your life is when you learn to have the courage to accept those things you can't control. There's just a lot we can't control. So we have to be aware of them and have to accept them. Um, doesn't mean we can't plan for them, but there's a lot we don't, we don't control. So, we, so the perspective is let's focus on those things that we actually have control over and face the brutal facts. You know, I've quoted um, Jim Collins' book a lot, Good to Great, and he tells the story uh, of General Stockdale or Admiral Stockdale uh, in the Vietnam War. Um, th they were prisoners in the Hanoi Hilton, right? They're prisoners of war during the Vietnam War. And he said that the soldiers that came out best were those uh, that were realist. You know, they understood where they were. They understood that we're going to get out tomorrow. Uh, the ones that had the most difficult time were the optimists because they always thought they were going to get out of the next holiday. So all I'm saying is, number one, have a financial plan that is prepared for these environments. And number two, have some perspective, you know, that, that, that this too shall pass. I guess that's my, that, that's part of my third point here is this too shall pass and have, and have a perspective because we do want to learn from the past. I mean, the past is for learning. Uh, 
uh, and we can learn a lot from the past. The future is unknowable, but it does provide us some motivation. And that's what's fun about the financial plan. We get to dream a little bit about what we'd like to have happen. But really, it's all about living in the present. Uh, and so we want to be prepared so that we can go enjoy the journey and live in the present today. And so that's that's so in point number three, uh, planning perspective. And then thirdly, some things that you actually do in your portfolio. And the first one is diversification. You need to be broadly diversified. I already talked about 20 percent of the individual stocks uh, are, are, are down, um, you, you know, are down 80 percent or more. So, you know, you're in big trouble if you concentrate in a handful of stocks. So have broadly diversified portfolios. Uh, and that includes both securities that you own, as well as asset classes like stocks and bonds and uh, global real estate securities and, and, and so forth. So diversification. And, um, and one of those is bonds. And I just mentioned that year to date bonds are down 9%. So, you know, most of us have thought that you know, bonds are the defense and equities are the offense. So you, you play defense with the bonds. And so even though uh, prices of bonds have gone down significantly of late because of these rising interest rates, we believe they're still an important part of your portfolio to provide defense. So you all know from listening to me speak that I, I, I'm passionate about people understanding that if the goal is to preserve purchasing power over a long period of time, being a shareholder in the world's great businesses has got to be a significant part of your strategy. So, I'm, so I love being a shareholder in the world's great businesses. But if you've got nothing but the world's great businesses in your portfolio, you psychologically have to be prepared for a 50% decline. Now, historically, it's been a temporary decline. But it's, but it's not pleasant and it's scary. And certainly if you're in retirement, no one likes to see 50% of their portfolio uh, deteriorate temporarily, even though, even though um, you're confident that it will recover. So that's what bonds are for. Bonds are there for defense. Bonds are there to be an asset class that historically uh, is helpful in the environments that I just talked about during winter. So high quality Bonds generally are a safe haven in, re in uh, recessionary environments. So the last thing you want to do, in my opinion, is if you've got a diversified portfolio that's driven by your financial plan, in other words, how much you have in stocks and how much you have in fixed income is driven by a long-term financial plan, the last thing you want to do right now is to give up on bonds because, the, again, they are likely to be uh, your best defense if we do have a winner, uh, which again, we're going to have, I mean, the business cycle, as I mentioned, has not been repealed. So don't give up on the bonds. The, the second thing I'll say about bonds is expected returns have gotten better because interest rates have gone up. So even though you've lost some principal in the short run, now you're now reinvesting at higher rates. Uh, so the so the ten year treasury was trading you know really low now it's trading at about three percent which is still probably too low. Um, the Lehman uh, the aggregate bond indexes I started to say Lehman Lehman went out of business in two thousand and uh, and eight uh, but the Barclays uh, bond index is down uh, I'm I'm sorry is yielding about three and a half percent so expected returns have gotten better so don't give up on bonds I guess is my 
is my thesis here or my or my theme. Um, so what else can you do? You 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 in our strategies, we want our clients to keep liquidity for two years worth of expenses. Uh, so keep some liquidity for short term income needs, so you don't have to sell asset classes unnecessarily um, for short you know for short term needs. So keep you know so keep some dry powder to cover a couple years worth of expenses. If we have winter recession, um, you know there will be some job loss. So it would be really helpful uh, if you had some, you know, some acorns socked away uh, just in case. Um, now, right now, we've got a labor shortage, so it's hard to envision uh, that there will be significant job loss on the margins, but there could be. And that and that's, that, uh, you know, that's normal in a recession. I guess maybe uh, some of these uh, more levered companies that um, rates are going up and they can't pay their bond interest might end up laying some people off. So some of these companies that have really, you know, gone up a lot and, and have debt might, might be in trouble. So some of those may be, have some job layoffs. So the point I'm making is uh, have some acorns stored away. Uh, another uh, thing that we do all the time is you rebalance portfolios. So as asset prices change, and they change all the time, as asset prices change, you can strategically rebalance, which can improve the expected return of your portfolio uh, and can also um, manage risk. So you're not taking more risk than is necessary. We can tax loss harvest, take advantage of these short-term downturns to book some short-term losses, which can be used against future gains. Uh, and then finally, just keep investing. Uh, don't give up on the capital markets. The best time to invest is in the teeth of a recession. Expected returns are actually higher during a recession. So it's the best time to be buying great businesses is actually during a recession. And you know, markets are forward-looking. So you'll you'll see downturns in the market traditionally before you have a recession. You'll see recovery in the markets before you see recovery in the economic statistics. So keep investing, stick to your plan. So um, to summarize what I just said here is, you know, it's a, it's a volatile environment. It, it's a challenging volatile environment. Asset prices are fluctuating and it's not pleasant. Um, but it's, it may be necessary in order to rebalance the economy. And we may be in a period of volatility that you just have to be, have to be prepared for. Uh, point number two was, um, you know, focus on your financial plan, focus on the long term, uh, add some of these, um, you know, these strategies that we have in place um, and, and, and recognize that it's normal. You know, it's, this is not, you know, recessions are normal, not something to be feared. And again, I'm not forecasting anything. We don't do forecasting, but it, it's important to be, it is important to be prepared. So the final thing I'll say is, you know, um, peace and hope are never found in efforts to predict the future. So we're not trying to predict the future here. All we're trying to do is give you some thoughts during a volatile environment on going back and focusing on the things that matter most that you actually have control over. So I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, if we can help you in any way, or you'd like more information, please reach out to me and my team at Tanner Growth. We'd love to, love to hear from you. Uh, if you found this useful, I would love some feedback. So don't be a stranger. You can reach me at um, info at uh, moneyandmeaning.com. Uh, I'm sorry, moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Uh, you can check us out on the web. 
uh, at tannengrowth.com as well as on Spotify and iTunes and things like that. So again, uh, thanks for your attention today. Hope this was useful. Uh, I know I might've gotten in the weeds a little bit, but um, thought it might've been helpful today that I, uh, to share some of the things that we've been thinking about. And uh, we appreciate uh, your time today and, and uh, go out and live your life and enjoy the journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Money and Meaning Show with Jeff Bernier, a show dedicated to help you gain the confidence and freedom to lead a life of personal significance and help you get your actions and resources in alignment with what matters most. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions for Jeff or comments on the show, feel free to reach out to us at moneyandmeaning at tandemgrowth.com. Or you can find us on the web at www.tandemgrowth.com. Jeff Bernier is the President and Chief Investment Officer at Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. This show is a production of Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC. All information discussed is general in nature, is provided for informational purposes only, and should not be construed as specific financial, legal, or tax advice. Listeners should consult an attorney or tax professional regarding their specific legal or tax situation. Listeners should not rely on the content of this podcast as the basis for any investment decisions. A professional advisor should be consulted and or independent due diligence should be conducted before implementing anything discussed in this show. While information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not guarantee its accuracy and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. Tandem Growth Financial Advisors, LLC, does not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy, timeliness, suitability, completeness, or relevance of any information prepared by any unaffiliated third party, such as guests on the podcast, and takes no responsibility for the same.